We are in part eight of our Connecting to Church series. All year, we've been in the year of connecting, and boy, did God know what he was doing. How weird is that, right? This one year that it's the hardest to connect, God knew in advance, preloaded it, and has been talking to us about unity and connection all year long. He knew in the middle of March it was all going to blow up, but he had us training in what? January, in February, in the beginning of March, and he's been going all the way through. We are now in part eight of this series, and this one's entitled All in the Family. And I want to begin by talking about the concept of unity and oneness. Now, we all live here that, are, that I'm talking to you right now, uh, and maybe some of you are out of the area, but the majority of us, we live in America. America is a Western mindset nation, kind of like Europe. The Western mindset really came from the Greco-Roman mindset, right, that Paul was dealing with, so he knows what it's like, but it built into a concept today that we work off of called individualism, and there are some beautiful things about individualism. I love the idea that our society values every individual little child. I'm so glad we don't just lump everybody together and say, well, you're a kid, you're all the same. I love being able to minister uniquely to every individual sheep of God. I love that we celebrate diversity. I love that we can appreciate that God makes different people in different ways and they're all glorious and beautiful and that we can come together. But my problem is that when we are so baked in the individualistic culture, sometimes we forget the other part of us. Our community, our corporate identity, becoming something greater. When you and I got saved, when we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, when we were born again, when we were had our light turned on on the inside. When we became children of God, we became part of something so much bigger than us that now we are a family of God. In other community cultures, collectivist cultures, they know what it means to be part of the whole. They know what it means to have oneness. They know that what one does affects the other one. They know the concept of ecosystems. I just don't want us in the beautiful place that we get to live. I don't want us to forget that. And the reason why is because oneness and unity is absolutely godly. Here's the fill in the blank. If you don't have uh, the app, or you can just create your own fill in the blank, right? You just write this down and underline one of the words and go, oh look, it was a fill in the blank, this is awesome. Unity is the nature of God, write that down, unity is the nature of God. It is who God is. Now this is a little bit weird, right? Because at Bridgeway, like so many Christian churches all over the world, we teach this concept of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that when you hear, well, God is one, 
You go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it is one God, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit make up one God. Now, here's what's interesting about that. We focus so much on the three that sometimes we forget the one, which is weird because Christianity was birthed out of Judaism. Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. They are our spiritual brothers and sisters. They're where we came from, and they ferociously focus on the singularity and the kingship of God. You see, God had mandated for them that forever after they would pray in their prayers, Deuteronomy 6.5, they still to this day, most Jews in their morning and evening prayers, they pray Deuteronomy 6.5. Now they'll tailor the rest of the prayer, called the Shema, to different situations, but the first line is always the same. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Now let me say it again kind of the way that I would say it. Pay attention, O Israel, this is for us. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. So how intriguing that that Judaism was so focused on the singularity of God and yet Christianity comes out and talks about the plurality of God. They do not teach polytheism or multiple gods. We do not teach any of that. What we teach is a complex reality. Christianity teaches that God is holy, with a W-H, holy one expressed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But make no mistake, there is only one God. One other thing I wanna say about the, the oneness of God and the unity of God is that God is a God of order, amen? God is not a God of chaos. As a matter of fact, we learn that right off the bat. Let's say you opened up the Bible and you never read it before and you just opened to the first page. It's right there. What did you read? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters of the deep. What's so beautiful about that is what, it's, what comes next, and then God began to create. You see, the formless and void was chaos, so the Holy Spirit came over it and began to fashion it into order. What's so cool about that is it affects us directly because we were made in the image of God, which means we get little pieces of what God is. And I remember hearing this message from Tim Keller, I believe, if I am giving that the wrong credit to the wrong person, that's okay, he's super smart anyway. We'll just pretend he said it. He had a teaching on the nobility of work. Meaning that we as Christians, we as human beings, when we do our work, we're doing little forms of creation like what God does. For example, we take random numbers and put them in an order and create a binary code by which we can do our computer systems. That which is chaos brought to order. When we write books, we take random letters random words, and we order them in such a way as to create a poem or a novel or a history book, and it has powerful meaning. You see, everything that we do that we put our hands to, we're trying to take, even in farming, we take that which is chaotic in the ground, and we put it together and create order for an orchard. 
You see, we do a little bit of what God does. God brings unity and oneness. How beautiful is that? All right, we got to get moving forward. Uh, if you had the uh, beautiful pleasure of being able to check in with us last week, you got to hear an incredible message from Pastor Matt, which Pastor Matt, if you're watching, crushed it, buddy. I loved it, and I've been bragging about your message ever since. So if you really want to hear a great message on unity, it's probably going to be last week. That was uh, Pastor Matt. He explained that as we're going through Ephesians, once we hit chapter four, it goes into a very practical teaching on how we need to treat each other and maintain the unity of God. So he led us out in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Here's what Paul said in that passage. I'm just going to recap real quick. Paul said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So in other words, Pastor Matt took us through that and explained the power of unity that God is the one that actually creates the unity. We would never even be able to be unified if Jesus Christ wouldn't have died for our sins. I, like I said, I cannot control the unity of the world, but here in this church, God has given us a possibility to be his body, to be one. So God creates the unity. Our job is to maintain it, not screw it up. Even when we are tempted to do otherwise. How timely is this message? In a world full of division, where everyone's got opinions, vehemently so? Should we not be reading this and realizing we need to fight to maintain the unity? How ironic is that? We need to fight against the enemy. We only have three enemies, and they're not each other. The world, the flesh, the devil, that's all we got. We fight against that, and we unify together. How are we going to do that? Well, Pastor Matt led us through Paul's short list of five qualities that we at least need to be utilizing. First one is this. If you didn't take these notes down last time, this is your chance, all right? Number one, we must be humble. Just write that down. Number one is humble. That is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking less about ourselves. In other words, you were created glorious by God but it ain't about you. That's humility. Number two, we must be gentle, or the word is meek. What does that mean? It means not being overly forceful or manipulative of other people. Number three, we must be patient. Pastor Matt highlighted this beautiful definition, the capacity to put up with delay as long as it takes. The capacity to put up with delay as long as it takes, it means to allow other people to go through the process of maturing like we want God to let us. We're always going, God, give me a chance, give me a chance, give me a chance. I'm still trying to grow up. I know I blew it and all this stuff. And we're constantly looking for his grace, but we're so quick to snap judgment on each other. We all are growing up. Man, as long as we're on this planet. Number four, we got to bear with one another in love. That means that while we're hanging in there through all this process, you don't get to do it bitterly. There's some weird idea out there in our minds, I think, that we're tempted to believe that we can have this attitude. Man, I hate you, but God says I have to love you, so I guess I'm going to be nice to you. That is not correct. As a matter of fact, the Christian view says that if you hate him in your heart, it doesn't count. So what this is calling us to do is enduring in a loving manner. 
Number five, we must be eager to maintain unity and peace. What it does not mean is that we are looking for uniformity and calm. There are some things that need to be stirred up in order to be laid down right, amen? What that means is peacemakers make peace, they don't just pretend peace, yeah? So, so we don't just looking for calm and we're certainly not looking for uniformity. You're gonna find out at the end of this message, I believe that actually the diversity of God's body is the only way to be who we are fully meant to be. What it does mean though, is that we do our best to be unified on all fronts that we can, and we always lay a bedrock of peace on everything we do. All right, so that is what Pastor Matt shared. How about we jump into our message for today. In order to maintain unity, there's a couple concepts that we need to have baked in. What you're about to read is believed to be one of the earliest Christian creeds where they would memorize doctrine and lock it in their heart. You ready to do this? Here we go. I'm gonna be reading out of Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Let me just read it all and then we'll go back and tear it apart because that's what we do here at Bridgeway. We really dig in, right? Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Here we go. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What do you think his point is? One. There's only one. There's not a whole bunch of options. There's just one. And he's going to drive that home. So let's do that. Let's take the first line. There is one body. There is one church. There's one body of Christ. Quick question for you. Let's do a little bit of a, an exercise together. Ready? Here we go. Do you wholeheartedly agree with everything that your siblings do, say, and believe? Here we go. Let's talk about that. Your super bizarre sister and your whacked out brother. Do you agree with everything? No, of course you don't. But your family. All right, let's play another game. Those of you that are married... Do you fully validate every single thing that comes out of your spouse's mouth? No, you do not. How do I know that? Because we have a counseling wing at this church. And that is because that's not a reality, right? Exactly. No, but you're married, you're family. In other words, of course we have differing opinions. We even have some intense disagreements, but we're still family, that's kind of how it works. There is only one family of God. You don't get another one. This is it. And yeah, God has some bizarre kids. I'm one of them, right? We are many times the members of the family that everyone else wants to photo edit out of the family reunion photo. You know what I'm talking about? Like they would go back through Photoshop and just remove our faces if they could. I get that. It's not like everybody else is a problem. I might be the problem. But know this, there are not churches that are more of God's kids than other churches. There are not believers who are more Christians than other believers. We are who we are because of who he has made us, because of who he is. You see, some of us are tempted at times to leave our church. I totally understand that. I think most pastors that I know are tempted to leave their churches all the time. I just need to let you know it's a fool's errand. Here's why. 
Because there's only one house of God. When you leave your local church and go to another one, you are simply going down the hall to another room. It has different decor, but it's the same house. You're not really going anywhere. It's kind of silly. We just, as we church hop, we just run up and down the hallway and keep going in the different rooms. It's still dad's house. We didn't go very far. We get all dramatic about it, like we're gonna go somewhere super big and super far. Nope, you just went to the next room over because there's only one family. Now, where it gets serious and it becomes very, very dangerous is when we start throwing rocks at other ministries and other churches saying they're not part of our family. Uh, real quick, we're gonna do this exercise, you ready? I want you to think right now of another ministry, church, leader, Christian leader, or Christian that, quote unquote, Christian that you know, that you think's totally bogus and not legit. Someone that really, really frustrates you, and you're like, well, this is a weird exercise to do in church. Thought I was supposed to have my heart right. Oh, you're already doing this, I'm just calling you on it. So just for a moment, think about those people or those groups, ready? Now I'm gonna ask you a question. Are they saved by the grace of God? Because here's the deal. Either they're saved or they're not. Be very careful on your answer. You see, their maturity, their views, their absolute adherence to the set of doctrine that you believe is not the requirements for their inclusion into the body of Christ. If God saved them, they are saved and they are part of us. If he didn't, they have a much bigger problem than whether you think they're legit or not. You see, if God brought us in, we don't get to kick each other out. Now, I will say this, we are allowed to hold brothers and sisters accountable. As a matter of fact, it's kind of what we're supposed to do. Think about it when we all meet together as a big family reunion and Uncle Larry just pops off with his super bizarre political views, right? And everyone's like, oh man. And everyone's like, oh that, and he starts saying something that's super wrong or super offensive. Everyone's not supposed to just be quiet and let that go on. The family is supposed to go, uh, Larry, dude, you're way out of line. Knock it off. All you're doing is stirring the pot for no reason. We're allowed to hold each other accountable. But know this. If we don't have the relational capital to do it, whether we're family or not, it's not going to go smooth. If you already have a strained relationship, maybe someone else needs to bring that correction. Because we're supposed to do all of our correction in gentleness and humility. The idea of a fallible person calling another fallible person on the carpet is already a little bit weird. You're all messed up and have sin issues, and you're calling someone else that's all messed up and has sin issues on the carpet. Now, do we have to do it out of practicality? Sure we do. But we always do it with humility, gentleness, and love. That's kind of the point. Because at the end of the day, there is only one dad in the family, and we're not him. There's only one dad in the family, and it's God. He's the one that's the final call on that. Right? All right. Let's keep moving forward. Just as there is only one body of Christ, there is only one spirit. What you're gonna find is that Paul is gonna talk about there being one spirit, one Lord, one Father. Why does he go in that order? Man, I was reading this commentary, had a brilliant insight. It was saying that Paul was practically taking his church from what they were most familiar with and extrapolating out. What does that mean? It means they knew the Holy Spirit. 
they could see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their church. They saw the salvations. They saw the miracles. They saw the demon casting. They saw all of this radical evidence of the Holy Spirit in their church. So he said, I know you know him. Do you also realize there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Do you realize there is also one Father who is up in heaven? In other words, the Holy Spirit was so familiar to them. He said, yep, there's only one of those. Another commentary said, you remember the word spirit is pneuma in Greek, and what that means is it's also the word for breath. In other words, if the breath isn't in the body, the body's dead. In the same way, if the Holy Spirit's not in the church, the church is dead. Wow. The very air we breathe has to be the Holy Spirit or we're not alive. There's only one source of power if there's only one spirit. Conservatives don't get a different source of power than charismatics. The, the conservatives are like, man, God's working in our church and he's saving people and we're passing out tracts and things are going awesome, right? And then they're talking about God's moving in our prayer service and we're praying for these things and God's moving and the Holy Spirit is moving. And then all of a sudden the charismatics are like, man, God is moving. Then he's casting out demons and he's healing people and all this stuff. And everybody thinks, what, those are two different sources of power? Same Holy Spirit doing the same things. Man, we divide over some really unusual things. Just remember this. As much as we try to divide and divide our churches, the Holy Spirit will never allow himself to be divided. And he will always press in for more unity. Hmm. I will caution us on this, though. The Holy Spirit moves most powerfully long-term in arenas of unity. Why? Because he is interested in carrying out the will of the Father through what Jesus Christ accomplished. What that means is if we allow our body in any church to become disunified, the Holy Spirit will tend to step back. Here's what's intriguing. Revivals. All the greatest revivals in history, if you do a deep study of them, that's when the Holy Spirit was rolling strong, right? He's doing such stunning things and saving thousands and thousands of people. Do you know how all of them end? Disunity. Every single revival ended because of the disunity of people, because the Holy Spirit said, I'm out. Let's keep moving forward. There is one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your calling. There is only one hope, and his name is Jesus. I don't know what you've heard or what you were trained in, but there is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. He is considered the gate, he's considered the doorway. The only chance you're ever getting in there is him. Why? Because he's the only savior that showed up. There is not like, oh, you can go through this faith stream or you can go through this religious stream. No, they all end nowhere if they don't end in Jesus because he's the only shot We've got, he's the only savior. If multiple saviors had showed up on this world, then we could have multiple means of salvation. They didn't, just one showed up. That means it's Jesus or nothing. That's kind of how it works. But when Paul is talking about us having an ultimate hope, do you know what he's talking about? Now I'm gonna share this with you because I think it's so important. It's that what Jesus said and what Jesus did is absolutely 100% correct. And that one day, 
We will be rescued by him from our own sin and shame and this broken world. That one day we will become fully what we were designed to be. That one day the trials will cease and the tears will be wiped away. One day the sting of death will be removed completely and we will be free to live deeply with no end. One day we will be fully in relationship with one another and the petty divisions of this life will fall by the wayside and we will be fully known and we will fully know one another and that will fill our souls. One day we will see him face to face and it will all make sense and we will join with all of creation and worship the almighty God. One day, our father will gather us to his chest and say, well done, my children. Come and join in your father's happiness. That is our hope, amen? Amen. Woo, it said, there's only one calling. What's your calling? What's my calling? To do what God does. That's it. We're not to come up with our own agendas, our own plans, our own priorities. We are to do what God does. That's the point. All right, let's keep moving forward. There is one Lord, one Lord. Jesus is the head, Jesus is the boss. That means he calls the shots and he is the final referee and authority in all matters. We determine that through God's word and through prayer and connection with him. That's the point. But the reason why this is really important is that Jesus had to tell his followers this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It is a complete misconception that you can refer to Jesus as Lord and Savior when you are not walking in the manner that Jesus walked. Why? Because you're really not submitting to him at all. As long as you're on your agenda and not on his agenda, then he is not quite fully Lord of your life. That's why we are working on it. And the problem with that is, is that the church is Christ's body, which means the head needs the body to get stuff done. Do you realize God still has a lot of stuff to get done in this world? Would you agree with me that the world is rather broken and that Jesus has tons of stuff to do? I think your answer to that is absolutely, but we are the vehicle to get the stuff done. If we get disunified, we hinder his work. Unity is not just a cute concept. Unity is about fulfilling what Jesus wants to do. Unity isn't even just about you and me. Unity is so much bigger than that. It's about what God wants to accomplish. All right, let's keep moving forward. It says, and one faith, there is one faith. This is where people like me, right? If you're like me, first of all, sorry. In any way, but anyway, if you're like me where you're like super focused on purity of doctrine and you're really focused on what does the word say and your little Bible nerd and all that stuff, if you're like me, this is super tempting for you. When I say the phrase there's one faith and you automatically kick back and go, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. There's one faith and all you people are all bogus. If that is your nature, let me remind you something. The faith of God is faith in a person not in a set of beliefs. Let me say that again. Faith is in a person, the person of Jesus Christ, not in a set of doctrinal beliefs. Let me explain what I mean. Sometimes we think that someone is in the faith or out of the faith based on whether or not they align with our principal set of beliefs. That is incorrect. 
Why? Because we are not the determiners of inclusion in the body of Christ. We don't set the basis for the faith. The faith that we're a part of, the Bible says, is belief in Jesus Christ and all that he said and did and all that he says and does. And because we're all still learning what that is, anything we determine out as perfect doctrine is at best an educated guess. We gotta have a lot more humility. The bottom line the Bible says is either you believe in him or you don't. It's a person, not a doctrine. It says there's one baptism, one baptism. Now this is kind of funny because depending on your background, I don't know what popped up in your head, but if you're conservative, you probably thought about what? Water baptism. You're like, hey, yeah, now we're into that thing. Immersion, right? You know, that kind of idea, which sounded like tradition from Fertile on the Roof. Anyway, that's not the point. Focus. Here's the point. Baptism, we think about water baptism. Oh, that's when people get wet and they get dunked. And yes, at Bridgeway, we do full immersion, right? Because the word baptize means to immerse or dip. Quick reality check. Are there other ways to baptize? Yep. Don't get stuck on that. Anyway, here's the point. If you're charismatic, you probably immediately thought about the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love that part. That's kind of like the, the anointing that not only does the Holy Spirit come into our life just to be a believer, but there's like empowerment and anointing that comes on when the Holy Spirit rages down on his people and empowers them to live victoriously. Okay, both of y'all, you're not thinking right. Here's why. Baptism is not just about baptism of the Holy Spirit or baptism in water. The concept means something else. What do I mean? Well, here's what's intriguing. The concept of baptism is identification with, identification with. When you get water baptized, it's a public proclamation of identifying with the church. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are identified with the power of the Holy Spirit and his presence in our lives. Baptism means identification. Let me read a verse that's gonna blow your mind. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 10, one through two. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, Paul said, that our fathers, our ancient Jewish fathers in the desert, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What do you mean baptized into Moses? That's my point. They were identified with Moses. Do you realize that in the Great Commission, go into all the world, what does it say? And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in what? The name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't get baptized into the Jesus water, we get baptized into the name of Jesus. Why is this so important? Because there's only one person to be identified with, and that's God. If you're identified with any other attempted savior, other than Jesus, it's not gonna work. Let's wrap this up. It says there is one God and one Father of all. In one sense, God is the Father over all creation, yeah, because he is the source. He's the one that started it all. He's the one that scooped up the dirt and began to make things. He's the one that breathed his own breath into our lives. So in that sense, yes, 
All of creation could be children of God. But if you are a Christian, if you are a true believer, if you went from darkness to light, if you were born again, if you were considered a partaker in the divine nature, if all of that came alive in you, you are now in connection with God in a way that nobody else is. You now not only have him as your father, as your source, you have him as your dad. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit inside a Christian calls out Abba, Father, meaning daddy, meaning a little kid having a personal, intimate connection, relationship with his dad, saying, you're the one that is personal to me and you protect me and you love me. Christians, you get a special connection with God as your dad that the rest of the world does not have. But there's only one dad. When you're in your private devotion, and crying out to your dad, and I'm in my private devotion calling out to my dad, same dad. How do we know that? Because of how it closes. He is over all, through all, and in all. Ready for me to close in an encouragement for you? Here's what that means, and it matters right now. You ready? Here's what it means. Nations can't overthrow him because he's in control. Politics can't touch him. Viruses can't infect him. Persecutors can't crush him. Trials can't derail him. Divisions can't split him. He is the Lord and the King over all the earth. Amen? Amen. Family, we are in this together. I get it, we got differing opinions. I get it, we got all kinds of chaos going on and we're all kind of messed up and don't know what in the world we're doing and we're frustrated and angry and scared and all that stuff. We're in this together, we're in a family, y'all. And so I'll finish by saying this, and that is harmony. The beauty of harmony in music is you have two very different notes, but they're unified together on the scale, and they are beautifully diverse, but beautifully united to create the symphony of sound. Man, that's what we're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be just like me. You're supposed to be just like you, and allowing God to make us both into something brand new. Hope you're encouraged today. I think that this is a very, very powerful message for today. We are in this together. I love you. Let me just pray as we close out, and I'll pray a blessing over you. Heavenly Father, we have sat at your feet and listened to your word. You have said things that are so powerful and true. We just pray right now, God, that you would pour down your blessings upon us. Not, God, that we might be overly rich or that we might have everything we want. Just, Lord, your encouragement. Just your empowerment. Just so we might be able to hear your voice and to know you are near. Just so that our hearts leap at the sound of your name. God, would you unify us and draw us together and we're gonna keep pushing through and making sure that is maintained. But God, in all of this difficulty, Pick us up and show us how to stand for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.